Good evening and welcome to Wrestling Rewind. I am your host, Angel Amoroso, and I am joined by my co-host. Iron Man Tommy Cairo. What's up, girl? What's up, Tommy? We are here uh, this week again for another installment of Wrestling Archives Arena Rewinds. Going way, way back. uh, Covering this week. Let's Um, see. What are we doing, Tommy? This week we will be going to uh, a WWF house show on 11-26-84. Okay? And then we will be going. I don't know why, but it's not listed where this house show is. Then we will be going to the NWA, which is the main competition, uh, the Million Dollar Challenge, NWA Starcade 84. So we're going to see the difference in the uh, progression of the matches, the style, the time of the matches, no- noting the curtain jerk, the popcorn match, the final, the main event, you know. From A to Z. A to Z. And I like to look at how much offense is given to the person who's going under. So we'll keep note on that. So we're going to start. It starts us off, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, NWA Starcade 84, the Million Dollar Challenge, November 22nd, 84 in Greensboro, North Carolina. You know, I got to say, I'm so excited about hearing about the 1984 Starcades because I went to every Starcade from 88 to oh, in, well into the 90s. So, yeah, I'm really excited about hearing the ones that I actually didn't attend. So, let's start this off. Always, always a good start. But I remember these were free. So, I remember seeing these on, on TV. Yes. So, yes. Um, this is uh, host of Gordon Soli and Bob Cordell. Uh, he was a little guy, a favorite of mine. Bob Cordell. Uh, yeah, NWA yeah. World Junior Heavyweight Champion Mike Davis versus Denny Brown. Now, you know Mike Davis was crazy. Mike Davis, rock and roll RPMs. Right. And downtown Brown. Right. Good work. And Denny Brown was, I love Denny Brown. Little guy. Good guy. You know, journeyman. He was a journeyman. Hell of a worker. Yeah. Um, Denny Brown is kind of a nobody from Florida, while Mike Davis is one half of of the rock and roll RPMs. Apparently, it's face versus face. Brown delivers a few head scissors type moves before going to an arm bar. It was very different from what we would call a head scissors today. Davis escapes but takes a shoulder block. Brown comes off the ropes for another one, but Davis ducks and lets Brown fall out to the floor and hurt his lower back in the process. Back in, Davis snaps off a couple slams and gets two. Davis whips Brown into the ropes, but Brown reverses and hits a forearm. Small package from Davis gets another two. He whips Brown across into the corner, but Brown catches himself and leaps back onto Davis with a forearm. Backdrop and a drop kick from Brown gets two. Double KO spot follows. But Brown is up first with punches. Davis reverses a whip in the corner and sends Brown in chest first, setting up a bridging back suplex for the 1 2 3 at 540. Oh, wait. Brown got his shoulder up at the two count. Davis gets his shoulders counted, so that makes Danny Winner Brown, Dan, Dan, Danny Brown the winner and new NWA World Junior Heavyweight Champion. Decent enough, but the finish sucked. So, what I wonder is, uh, the time coincides with the first match, but, I mean, it must have had a lot of good matches if they were having this. I don't know if this is the same order that they went in, but that's how it's listed. Is this a title change in the first match? Yeah. 
Well, I never even knew that Mike Davis held the, the, that title, so that's news to me. Yeah, this is this is all yeah. new. <laughs> must have won it in some kayfabe phantom tournament in Rio de Janeiro. Whenever right. they wanted to say it was a tournament. Lots of others have won their titles there, yeah. right? Where is this place? I want to know where this arena is that nobody knows about. Right. All right. Uh, Mr. Ito, which I'm not sure who he is, versus Brian Adidas, if you remember him. Uh, when Brian Adidas changed his name, Brian Adidas changed his last name to Adidas. 1991. Adidas made him change it. Uh, I guess the company. Why he thought that was a good idea, I don't know. He would later become a fairly big star in W, such world class championship wrestling. Don't forget Mr. Ito. Ito confused with the great Mr. Ito from Stampede. Mr. Ito looks to be the Samoan family's Japanese love child, which is yeah. where he's built from. He's built just wow. like the wild. He's built just like the wild Samoans, but actually moves better than they did. He runs around a bit so Adidas can do some leapfrogs, and which leads to a dropkick. Adidas works a headlock, but Ito changes over to an armbar. Adidas counters that and goes to work on the arm. They trade chops out of the corner, which leads to an airplane sprint. Hate that move. From Adidas for the win at 310. Pretty energetic squash match. Adidas definitely had the look, which is good. Vince didn't sign him. Okay, NWA heavyweight champion Jesse Barr versus Mike Graham. I wonder what happened to people like Brian Adidas. Like, why was he not signed? Like, what in yeah. the world were they thinking? But go on. I'm sorry. Go, you know go. what? We're going to start making a list. Yeah. I mean, I, like, what happened? Where like, was Medusa like, Chain? In the world, were you thinking to let these people just pass by and nothing happened to them? So, you never know. They could have been smart enough to see the writing on the wall and get the hell out. Maybe. You Poss know? Possible. Some people don't realize... Uh, like Elizabeth, Miss Elizabeth, um, you know how treacherous the business can be. And when it can take out someone like her, who was the cleanest of the clean, the most purest of the pure, it can do that to anybody. So maybe some people get smart quick enough. I mean, we made it. We're still here. A lot yeah. of people that we were with didn't. So some people never smarten up, though. That's one of the problems. And all with our story. <laughs> yes, exactly. We figured out that you can't. We, we figured out this simple definition of insanity is we can't keep doing the same thing wrong and expect different results. We've got to change our, our behaviors if we want our lives to change. Yeah. Right. A work in progress. <laughs> Just don't be nuts. No. Um, Jesse Barr was pretty awesome back in the day before he gained 30 pounds and wasted away as Jimmy Jack Funk in the WWF. Mike Graham is part of the Graham family that ruled Florida wrestling forever. Bar goes after the arm. This should be good. Graham, two second generations or third generation, goes after the leg to start. Bar uses the ropes to gain leverage and a test of strength. But Graham headbutts out and applies the figure four. Bar quickly gets to his ropes, to the ropes, though, and takes a walk. Back in, Bar grabs hold of a headlock and won't let go until Graham executes a shin breaker to break it up. Graham punishes the leg and hooks on the figure four again. Bar makes the ropes. Graham gets a sunset flip for two, but then Bar throws him into the ref. Graham gets an inside cradle and everything. Graham tries a roll-up off the ropes as Hebner awakes to count one-two. No, Bar turns the tables on Graham and pulls the tights for one-two. No, Graham atomic knee drops Bar into the corner. 
was in bar. Trips him up with a Ric Flair corner pin. With his feet up on, on the turnbuckles. One, two, three. At 11.47. Great back and forth match there with Jesse Barr ruling everything in sight. So... To me, back then, they were even referring to it as a Ric Flair pin with the legs yeah. on the ropes, you know. Yeah. Well, but I'm a little confused about, well, it's not Florida, so uh, Graham's uh, push or his pull wouldn't have been as big. But I want to stop real quick. Uh, there's a special out now, um, the darker side, about Mike Graham and his father. No, like four of them, four of them committed suicide. Brother, father, I don't know, it's just crazy. But people don't realize what an athlete Mike Graham was and that he held powerlifting titles in, in, in the bench press, the deadlift, and the squat that held for very, very long. Um, he was a very good athlete, and he just, I guess his size was at a time where they, they couldn't, I don't know, they still should have been able to push him because there was plenty of guys that were smaller. Um, Mike Jackson, a little guy from Alabama, perennial Alabama junior heavyweight champion. Wrestled for 30 years. You know, a, a jobber, but it gave him great offense, and he was a hell of a worker. So you got to wonder, like you said, you know, these people were, what happened to them? No Perhaps more I mean, just we know. something that we don't know about, that we weren't supposed to know about, and we're yeah. not supposed to know about. And that's and it. So it was Graham's, Mike Graham's, we know Eddie Graham, way back. Mike Graham's son committed suicide. And then Mike committed suicide. I think there was another one in there somewhere. I, I, I didn't know that. Just awesome. So sad, yeah. But this is a little, like, I, I would have thought this would have been a little bit more competitive with Graham coming from where he comes from. And you're still, you're in WCW, which is almost like a related or affiliated after the fact, Florida, right? A lot of the same people. I don't know. It's 11.47, so I guess that's the best they could do. Unless they were just getting ready to push uh, bar. All right, they show uh, a clip of J.J. Dillon's Long Riders Gang, Tully Blanchard, Ron Bass, and Black Park, beating the crap out of Ricky Steamboat and Dick Slater. With Slater tied up in the corner, Bass and Blanchard hold up Steamboat for Black Park to jump off the rope and slam a boot in Steamboat's lower back. Ouch. That stable should have been called the Killer Bees. It would have been gold. Um, I'm a big, loved... Um, uh, uh, Black Bart. Um, he does a lot of shoot interviews, and he's got a lot of good stories and a lot of good insights. Oh. I always liked him. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Um, Great. I like the Cowboys. And then you got, I'm um, looking at this, is going to be Buzz Tyler, an assassin number one, versus the Zambui Express with Paul Jones. Now, Lee, Leon Brown, bad, bad Leroy Brown, was one of the Zambui Express. It's assassin number one, I believe, was Dave Sheldon. Oh, really? Okay. Maybe. He was also a Russian. Uh, he, he did like a Russian, one of the Russian gimmicks. Dave Sheldon. You do recall Dave Sheldon? Yeah, I do, I do that. Yeah, I do that. Anyway. Yeah. Put a face to it, but yes. Um, big, so, big, 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 bald guy. Oh, Ray yeah. Candy was Zambui Express. Okay. Ray Candy, the same guy as Leroy Brown? No, right? So it was Ray Candy and Leroy Brown were the Zambuli Express. That's what it was. Two, uh, gigantic, two gigantic black guys. Do you remember that tag team, the Zambuli Express? And, and no, I, I I missed that. <laughs> when you get a chance tonight, look them up. They're awesome. Oh, I will. All right, so, how's Tyler? I'm 
think I remember him. Buzz Tyler is basically a mid-Atlantic territory mainstay. That's right. I'm sure you're familiar with the assassin. The Zambui Express was Elijah Akeem and Kareem Muhammad. Hmm. I wonder if they're Muslim. Anyway, they're militants from Zimbabwe who also happen to be really huge black guys. I don't know why they're not saying who they are. I'm talking two visceras as one tag team. I can't possibly tell them apart. The finish comes when Buzz Tyler goes to the floor with one of the Zambui guys for a double count out. Meanwhile, in the ring, Assassin bumps head with the other black guy, and Tyler comes over and shoves Assassin on top for the win at 446. Real lame crap. So, um, hmm. was, uh, Joe, Jody Hamilton was one of the original Assassins. Was this guy, other guy a partner with him, or that was probably before him? Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not sure. That's, that's a oh. sound. <laughs> here, here, here's something uh, interesting. Dusty Rhodes' interview with a kid named Tony Schiavone. Oh. He sits back and points his finger at Ric Flair. He's going to win the title and the million dollars, and he's the prettiest man in the universe. I don't know exactly what they're This was before about. Tony was an announcer, or? I, I guess. I get they're making note of it for some reason, I guess. Yeah, I, you know, I don't hear. I guess I hear myself. This is a seamless scene. Hopefully, hopefully we're recording my voice. Oh, no, no I'm, I, I can hear you just fine. Okay. So, here we go with one of my favorite titles. It's the NWA Mid-Atlantic Brass Knuckles Championship. And the champion is Black Bart. And he's with J.J. Dillon against Manny Fernandez. So this oh. be, um, there's no brass knuckles involved. Just taped fists. It's basically a hardcore match as anything goes. Manny comes out to beat it by Michael Jackson. It's just weird imagining anyone using that song for an entrance theme in 2007. Along, right. with Dusty, along with Dusty, Manny is one half of the NWA World Tag Team Champs. At this point, just a big brawl as both men bust each other open. Finish comes with Dylan tosses in Bart's bull rope, allowing Manny to come up behind with a roll-up for one, two, three, to win the title. It's like I said, just a slugfest. But what do you expect when you have a brass knuckles title? Crap. Okay. I'll tell you though, those bull rope matches between Dusty and Manny, they were they were something to watch. Like yep. say what that you want. That was a hell of a weapon too. Yeah. Well you know, you learn like I was taught with the chain matches right off the bat of the signature things that you should definitely do in a chain match. You know, the guy's got you down. He climbs to the top. You yank the chain. He comes down. You're outside the ring. Um, you pull on the chain. He want to hang him over the ropes with the chain. Right. You know, yeah. post himself yeah. outside the ring. Wrap the chain around. Wrap the, around the elbow. I mean, Dick, Dick uh, Dudley came and I came up with some stuff because we had a, a lot of those, and it was just all out brutality. And um, that's. <laughs> That's a blast. So you know that the fans are usually into this type of thing. Sure. So, um, they were back then, and, and they are even more now. Yeah. They have an admission, intermission. Uh, Ricky Steamboat interview. He's hurting pretty bad, but he's still here to beat the crap out of Blanchard. Tully Blanchard and J.J. Dillon interview. Blanchard makes fun of Steamboat for crying and whining about his injury. He also points out that he wants the winner of the NWA world title match against... Tonight, no matter who comes out the victory. 
right, so we go to the tuxedo. Loser leaves town, tuxedo street fight, damn movie express with Jimmy Valiant. With assassin number one, Paul Jones oh, okay. versus Jimmy Valiant. Wow, they were both, I guess Paul Jones was pretty old at that point. Uh, wow, these stipulations all wrap into one. It's matches like this one that make anti-wrestling fans because it's so absurd. Well, I hate Jimmy Valiant, so I'm looking forward to this one. Valiant has a rope and ties Jones up his neck in the rope so he can't rip off everything on Jones but his skimpies. Zambubi Express guy distracted Valiant long enough for Jones to get a free Ifri and bury a knee into Valiant's back. Jones stomps away, but Valiant fights up and hooks on a sleeper. More interference from Zambuli Express causes the ref to get hit, but Assassin gets rid of him. J.J. Dillon runs in and blasts, huh? and blasts Valiant with what appears to be a can of spray paint. Jones makes the cover, and the ref wakes up for the one, two, three. Not sure why Dillon got involved, but anyway, crap. So this guy doesn't like anything so far, and it doesn't sound like anything was really that good. Um, the only thing I see here is like, I, it reminds me like when I see somebody, a couple people, and it's not a knock, it's just to show you different things. And that's why so many different personalities and characters in wrestling, some you resonate. Trying different things out sometimes. Yeah. And right. sometimes things are score and gold and sometimes things are just shit and it yeah. doesn't work. So, uh, I mean, Paul Jones is another one that he wasn't he a booker, a promoter, a booker. While uh, he was yeah, yeah. I actually I enjoyed Paul Jones as a match. Yeah. I think he was and a wrestler. He was a wrestler before yeah. he was a, yeah. a manager, and I think he he did good in in every position that that he was in. Actually, I think he was one of the more entertaining managers in the early '80s that didn't get quite enough credit that he deserved. Yeah. Like, uh, it was be like him and Gary Hart were in like the same territory, and then it became a, a huge focus of when you know uh, he Paul Jones was in the NWA, but he was there at the same time as people like Jim Cornette and Paul Hay Paulie Dangerously. So he was uh, very much and 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 JJ Dillon. So he's very much overlooked as a, a, a good manager, and he and he was good. He was one of the good. Well, he, was, he was over, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, Say Paul Jones Mid Atlantic champion Ron Bass with JJ Dillon versus Dick Slater. Uh, we didn't do the Jim Valiant assassin, uh, Paul Jones Zamboot versus Jimmy Valiant, right? No, all right. Oh, we talked about Jimmy Valiant, yeah. So, we're going to do this Mid Atlantic championship Ron Bass with JJ Dillon versus Dick Slater. Boy, all the managers were busy, they all had three, four guys, you know. Today, there's not a lot, a lot. I guess it's one less person to put on the payroll. You know? Now, was this the error? It, does it say, is, is Dark Journey with Dick Slater in this? This is 84, so I, that I'm not sure. Okay, like well, let's find it. Because if she is, she'll she'll be involved in, in the results, as she always yeah. was. Um, Bass ruled the Mid-Atlantic titles at this point, as he was also the current and final NWA Mid-Atlantic tag champ, along with Black Mark. I don't care what anybody says. Dick Slater as a face is weird. Slater punches away on um, Bass and then chases Dylan through the ring. Slater works a headlock for a while and then hits an atomic drop. The rep stops Slater in mid-stomp and allows Bass to rake Slater's face to take over. Slater hangs out on the ropes while Bass and Dylan punch on him. Bass hits a suplex for two. 
running bulldog from Bass goes nowhere. And Slater punches back for two. Bass goes to the eyes again and dumps Slater for some quick J.J. Dillon cheating. Back in, Bass treat, beats Slater into the corner, but Slater turns it around on him, fires back. The ref gets thrown aside because he won't leave Slater alone. He's busy. Slater hits a back suplex and covers, but J.J. comes in to break it up. Slater no-sells and clears Dillon out of the ring. Slater goes over and slams Bass and then hits a jumping leg drop. The ref comes out of his coma, but won't count and awards Bass the match by DQ. It was okay, I guess. The finish was lame. Half a star rating. So nothing's uh, really... Yeah, nothing's getting a good rating here. It doesn't seem like... A couple, couple left. Maybe Tully Blanchard will pull it out for us. Even though I'm not a, a fan, maybe he'll pull it out for us. Um, it's obviously I, not going over well with the people who are rating it right now. Right, exactly. But who knows who they are? Right? Exactly. Um, Ivan and Nikita Koloff versus Ole Anderson and Keith Larson with Don Carnoodle. I don't know who Keith Larson is. And boy, can I not? I cannot stand Ole Anderson. Oh, uh, anyway, the, Kol- the Koloffs turned on the Soviet sympathizer Don Carnoodle after he and Ivan lost NWA World Tag Team titles. They hurt him so bad, in fact, that he's now on crutches, which is why Ole and Don's real-life brother, Keith, are here to defend his honor. You may know Keith Larson better as Rocky Carnoodle. It's also one of the few times where the crowd favored Ole because he was beating up on those evil comics. Anyway, Ole is given, forgiven, and Don Carnoodle is pro-American once again and loved by all. Nikita had only been wrestling for a few months at this point and was receiving a very mild Goldberg push by wrestling short matches and doing rare interviews, Anderson throws out Nikita while Larson isolates Ivan for a while. As per usual for the Anderson formula, they go after Ivan's arm all day long and cut off the ring. It's a good 10 minutes work on the arm, but it's never boring because they make frequent tags and don't ever stop moving. Ivan finally gets a break and goes to the eyes to make the tag to Nikita. He rams his shoulder in only a bunch and then hits the Russian bear hug. Ivan draws Larson in the ring so he can nail Ole with a double axe handle before he escapes bear hug. Ole still manages to punch out, but the heater cuts off the tag after Ivan tags and misses an elbow drop. The heater grabs the bear hug again. One, Ole Atomic drops out and makes the hot tag to Larson. He connects with some back elbows, but then whiffs on a drop kick. Desperation small package on Ivan gets two. Meanwhile, down on the floor, Nikita runs by Carnoodle and drops him with a Russian sickle. It's a pure six brawl now, and during the chaos, Ivan blasts Larson with his chain for the one, two, three. 15 minutes, 22 seconds. Great match, and very cool seeing Ole wrestling as a face. After the match, the Colos try and put Larson out of action, but Carnoodle limps in and beats him, beats them up with his crutch. Three and three-quarter stars. So, I mean, if you remember... Nikita was, Nikita was over, man. Once they, uh, well, he was hated, so he was over as a heel, and they loved him as a, as a babyface, and he was a big jack guy too during a time where I mean, any anything he did worked, anything yeah. he did, and the whole like pairing of him and Ivan Koloff and Vladimir Petrov, or, worked. everything worked. Everything they did worked with the Russians back then. So it was a win-win, you know, for, for everyone, really. And three guys trying to sound like Russians. Nikita Kolov. It was, it was great. It was great. 
if you're up alive and in the back with a southern accent, you'd be like. And it never got old because they were always the enemy in wrestling. Yeah. It, you know, the the opposing was always like we had the American and then we have the Russian. You yeah. know, that, that's always been the thing, and I don't think that'll ever really change. So, well, depends on whether there's anybody out there trying to take advantage of those less complicated, you know, uh, situations. It's a natural. You know, it's always been a mirror. Um, but today, the mirror would be other. <laughs> It's very sensitive uh, yeah. as yeah. to what you could do and what you can't. So uh, the good days like this are over where we could, you know, make the jokes about Russians and Germans and everything being our enemy in uh, you yeah. know, at sports entertainment, for, for God's sake. So, uh, you know, th- these were these were good feuds. These were good matches with, with the Russians that they made use out of and at any kind of, like, you know, stable they were in. They always made it worthwhile to watch. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I worked with uh, Uncle Ivan when so it was 93. I don't know how old he was then, but man, that fucking guy could go. And even back then, you know, he wasn't a huge guy, but he was taller than me, but he wasn't six foot. So he was like, you know, 5'10", 5'11". He had a, a shoe that was like a 23, and wow. he was just really? a broad bone, you know, stacked, you know, got off. I lost you there for a second, but I'll wait until you come back. So we're on the subject of Ivan Koloff just being, you know, having obviously over a 20 size foot. Uh, who knew? I never knew that about Ivan Koloff. Uh, pretty wild stuff. Uh, and, and we're in the middle of this book reading. Uh, that, I'm sorry. It's arena results. We're doing arena results. So uh, comparing the two promotions to see which one we preference. And um, Tommy lost reception. So we're just waiting for him to figure out how to get back to us. And, uh, you know, we're going to pick up where we left off when we do. Until then, uh, remember to watch us every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Monty and the Pharaohs YouTube. And here goes Tommy. Well, I'm going to have to make some adjustments on my equipment. I apologize. That's fine. Just um, pick up where you left off. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, um, you got to give those guys a lot of credit. And, like, as you know, I told the story about um, Ivan Koloff's uh, tattoo. So, um, you know, I won't tell you that. I'll go over that now. But it goes to show these guys from that old school were so dedicated, um, you know, to their craft and their, their gimmick. You know, they, they were they were living it. Um, and, you know, that's a hard thing to do. Um, and now, you know, it's like we got to go. Okay. We've lost Tommy again. So we will uh, wait for him to figure out how to click the link and join us again. Uh, we're in the middle of a conversation about uh, Nikita Koloff, Ivan Koloff, and uh, the, the whole Russian group in NWA, WCW, and how uh, they, they were kind of the more over uh, faction of the time, feuding with everyone from uh, the horsemen to the road warriors. And, and here we go. Uh, we're getting Tommy back yeah, to that. I don't want to so, uh, yeah, try to keep the camera still. And yeah, I- pick up where you left off. I was just talking a little bit about 
the Russian factions are feuding with the horsemen and, and you know. Simple. Yes, everyone. She's uh, nothing simple now. What, what, what could you do today? Right. What would you do today that you could compare to? Can you think of anything? Uh, you get in trouble for almost anything. Yeah, right now you, you can't do those sort of things anymore. So uh, we, we have the memories that we do have of, of the different groups that we have, and, and we can hold those dear. But was that the rest of the show? No. Uh, okay. So I'm going to see what we got left here, because I think this one, this next match could be could be good. Um, while well, McDaniel gets sued to start Billy Graham, well, we'll do this one, which is next, um, which is uh, NWA television champion, Holly Blanchard versus Ricky Steamboat. Okay. So we Sounds know we got a heat magnet good. there. Right, Tully? Tully used to piss everybody off. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. All right. You go wrong uh, there. Yeah. All right, here we go. Both guys put up $10,000 of their own. Wow. K-Fave money, and the winner takes all. The DQ count-out rule has been waived, making it nearly impossible for Tully to cheat and hold on to the belt. Even J.J. Dillon isn't allowed at ringside for this match. I think I've told enough of the story throughout the show, so I won't tell it again. Tully wants to go right after the ribs, and Steamboat knows this. So he has to come back with quick offensive flurries. Uh, Tully tries to roll out to the floor, so Steamboat gives him a suplex back in for two. Steamboat grabs a chin lock, but Tully grabs the bottom rope. Steamboat hits a knee lift, and now the hurt ribs are starting to bother him. Or Ricky. Tully goes to work on those ribs like there's no tomorrow and dances and prances around the ring because he thinks he's got Steamboat right where he wants him. But that just fires up the dragon. Steamboat drives Tully down to the mat and grabs a chin lock. A Blanchard stands up and drapes himself over the top rope to force the ring ropes into Steamboat's ribs. On the break, Tully kicks him in the ribs and comes back in for a back suplex. Brief counter by Steamboat into a chin lock causes a stalemate. Tully finds it necessary to spit on Steamboat, which just puts gasoline on the fire once again. Steamboat drills Blanchard with a power slam for two. Ten count corner punches ensue, and Blanchard blades. Swinging neckbreaker gets two for Steamboat. He goes for the ultimate insult by giving Blanchard the slingshot suplex for one, two, no. No more, more chops from Steamboat sends Tully to the apron, where he pulls out some Last nuts. Blanchard misses, though, and Steamboat goes for a back suplex to bring Tully back in. But Tully nails him on the way down. Both men are flat on their backs. Once they get to their feet, Tully comes running at Steamboat with a crossbody for one, two, no, kick out. Blanchard wants a suplex, but Steamboat shoves him off and hits a flying body press for one, two, kick out. Tully reverses a whip into the ropes, but ducks low, allowing Steamboat to fly over him for a sunset flip. Once the ref hits the mat to check Steamboat's shoulders, Tully whips out the brass nuts again and nails Steamboat for one, two, three. 13 minutes or 14 seconds. The ref doesn't even give it a second thought. Another good, hard-fought match. Three and a half stars. So, it's pleasing the guy anyway. I guess the people at home were, I mean, I always liked watching Six was it was it six oh five and seven oh five? Yes, yes times. Yes, I, whoever I was dating at the time knew if I was at that girl's house on a Saturday or a Sunday. Wrestling was going on. Give him the TV and air and all. 
I'll tell you what, what Tolly Blanchard, uh, you know, didn't have and lacked in maybe looks and body. He definitely made up for in charisma and talent and the ability to uh, make up for all the things that were flaws with, uh, you know, just amazing ability to, to know how to wrestle matches that were like a guy like that could, can, could really work and make up for the things that he didn't have in, in his ability and the things that he did have. So uh, Tully Blanchard, you know, still, I mean, he ran strong until his later, and then his daughter then became a wrestler. So, uh, you know, passing it on like all the other ones. But uh, Tully Blanchard, one of the more entertaining guys who, you know, didn't didn't really need the manager, but had it helped. And, you know, always part of a, a good group and always, you know, good, with, great with the promos, great with drawing heat, no matter who he was with. And would could do a 60-minute match without really breaking a sweat or, you know, having a second thought about what he was going to do next. And you could tell that yeah. it just came natural, uh, move after move. And it just like, it, it, like a beautiful dance. So Holly Blanchard, always uh, one of the, the finer uh, technicians to watch in a match. You remember, um, don't forget, his father was Joe Blanchard, uh, who promoted AWA promotion, which was Southwest Championship Wrestling, uh, prior to this, I believe. And when you, when you come from a wrestling family, and that's what you're watching all your life, as as his daughter watched him, you know, and this is how you uh, become a, 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 a really good technician. And you know what? I think Joke's on me, because I had to stop and think about why I'm not, like, really a big Tully Blanchard fan. I guess it's, it stems from me not liking him through by being, him being his character. He's a heel. Yeah, because yeah. he like him being a heel, but he's doing his job. Yeah, I, I, I forgot. It's not personal. It's like I don't like him because I didn't like him as a heel. So he, he did a hell of a job. I wasn't fooled, but just, you know, not... Like the, even though you know it's what it is, you still like to see, you know, the guys you like, you know, do well, you know. Exactly. So yeah, definitely a, a, a hell of a talent, and his daughter seems to be following in his footsteps. I, I mean, you know, they say she's got all, an attitude. All of their children are thriving. Yeah. Uh, now, now you know, popping up all over. So yes. I would think that you would know better and send your kid to do something else. It's almost like child abuse. Knowing what I know, I would never put my kid in, in that business. Yeah, no. I've been asked uh, about my daughter actually uh, joining a, a, a few wrestling events, and it, the answer is absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, regardless of, of what she knows and how she right. looks, it's, it, it'll, it, it would never happen. Yeah, it's nothing. Um, it says here, uh, was that? Let me see something. Hold on one second. Well, that was not the last match. We, we no. play. There was a, a longer show. Uh, yeah, so uh, all the all the kin of the yeah. stars back then, the Charlotte Flair and and the uh, uh, Jim Neidhart's daughter and, and Natalia, Natalia. Yeah. And she's been uh, at it for a while. I mean, I watch these people walk around because I know how I walk around, and like a lot of people. Now we got Mike Mike Rotunda's daughter, uh, uh, Terry Bam Bam Gordy's daughter, 
Uh, let's see. There, there's just so many to carry on the legacy of their parents and, and grandparents. Yeah. And actually, we have a title show on Wrestling Rewind about the families and the histories right. in wrestling that we have coming up pretty soon. So uh, you'll learn about the family, tree, the family tree of uh, several different families in professional wrestling. Yeah. There, it's, it's a, a four-episode uh, show so uh, a lot of work. Yeah, hang in wow. there for that one because it's a really interesting one to connect the dots on right. who belongs to who, whether they're cousins or daughters or mothers or sons or whatever. You have you have them related to like in-laws and then you know the sisters and then like like you're in in a heart family. You know, there's all different branches out all different ways yeah. just beyond the immediate family. In-laws and everything. So we'll yeah. get to that in a later yeah. episode of Wrestling Rewind. But let's uh, pick up where we left off yeah. in the rest of this show so that we do our comparison and see who wins the verses for yeah. this week's Alright, so this one we got is NWA US Champion. Looks like everything's a title match. Wahoo McDaniel versus Superstar Billy Graham. So I'm sure Wahoo wasn't going to. I got to do something. It's probably my wife. She's probably. I'm too loud. It's resonating right through the uh, museum. Anyway, um, Wahoo was starting to hate everybody at this point because he felt he was being mistreated because he was a Native American. As for superstar Billy Graham, he's all about karate. Superstar Billy Graham, brother. These two go back as far as their early AWA days. I forgot about that. In the early 70s. Real short match as Graham works to pull Nelson in a lot. But Wahoo delivers the tomahawk chop for the win. Wow. It's kind of sad to see the number two title being used. For the win? A- Did you say for the win? For the he win. chopped him for the win? He yep. chopped Billy Graham for the win? Can you imagine? Okay. That's, that's how much clout he had at that, at that time. You know what I mean? Maybe there's a story behind that. We don't know because that sounds a little spiteful. It sounds like, yes, you're trying to hurt someone. Yeah, that's a lot of spite right there. You know, they probably didn't like the fact that he was on steroids and he was getting a push. Yo, but not for nothing. You don't humiliate someone. No one wins with chops and clothesline, maybe if it's off the top rope or something like that, but not a standing clothesline. You don't win with these moves. They're not finishing moves. And if you see someone win with that move, it's because the the promoter or whoever is being spiteful and they're like, we're going to make a fool out of this guy right here. That's that's wrong. That's another thing to look into. We got to start writing this stuff down. That's another thing. We want to know how did how did that happen? Who could we, we right. could find out? Somebody who knows. I would love to know what the story was behind that because that's not right. You know, that's not right. Not at all. Anyway, Billy Graham did you know did the right thing and did whatever he was asked. But I'm sure he wasn't happy. Does his character look really weak for the future of the, of the company of uh, yeah. when he carried on. But I guess it didn't hurt him that much. But imagine whoever wanted to spite him didn't even think to themselves how selfish they were being in knowing that if he did something like that and lost to a chop in less than two minutes, that it might make his character look a little bad. You know, and that happens a lot to people that it's uh, personal things come out in matches that you yeah. see. And a lot of people don't understand that it's spitefulness through the office or the booker or whoever is in charge. And it's ridiculous. And a lot of times you find out the people who always talk a good game are the ones that you find out are guilty of the same thing. Uh, Yes. I'm sure somewhere along the line, Wahoo McDaniels had some gripe, 
but yet here he is doing business the wrong way. So we'll find out. We're going to get into that. All right, now, this looks like the big one, huh, I guess. Uh, NWA World Champion Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes. Special referee Smoking Joe Frazier. Oh. So, should be interesting. All right. Uh, NASCAR driver Kyle Petty is guest judge for this match in case it happens to go 60 minutes. This is a million-dollar challenge. It's like, who wants to be a millionaire? Well, you go, got to wrestle for it. Dusty hits a bunch of elbows and works a headlock until Rick goes low and fights back with chops. Rolling a knee drop from Flair gets two. Flair tries another one, but Dusty rolls out of the way and quickly applies the figure four. Flair makes it to the ropes, but Dusty stays on the leg. Flair rakes Dusty's face, but the comeback is cut short with a press slam. Dusty sends Flair in the corner for the Flair whip, which sends him down to the concrete floor. Dusty wants to suplex Flair back in, but Frazier gets in the way and screws up the execution for two. Flair hits a back elbow and heads up top, but Dusty slams him off. Flair reverses a whip and grabs a sleeper, but Dusty dumps him out to the floor. Dusty follows him out for a slugfest, but then Flair shoves him off into the ring post to bust him over. Oh boy, back in, Frazier holds off Flair so he can check on Dusty's condition, but he gets shoved away. Flair works the cut like a man possessed until Frazier calls for the bell due to the blood running down Dusty's face. 12-10. Flair regains the belt and wins the million dollars. Dusty wants to go a few rounds with Frazier, but that guy is long gone now. Never really got going, but I think that was kind of the point. That seems like a wasted. You know, the thing is, they they both always bled so much that when you got to these like determinations of oh, it was too much blood and we had to stop it, like that is unbelievable. Then, yeah. like, why are you doing this to, to the fans or anyone for that matter? Well, probably blame it on Joe Frazier. Uh, well, the the you Joe. Know? The fact that they had Joe Frazier there was classic. I, I do like I, I like the idea of that. Uh, I'm sorry. That's all right. Uh, but the Ric Flair thing, Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes both, like we look forward to seeing both of them bleed like stuck pigs. Kind of the whole point of putting them against each other in a main event, right? Yeah. So that we could see something like that. And and I'll tell you, it was it's like to hear you go over that match and you just like you envision move for move and uh, being at so many shows it right smack dab in the front row to watch this uh, Dusty Rhodes versus Ric Flair. You knew what to expect and what to anticipate and you knew when the blades were coming out. You knew when that blood was going to flow and you were on the edge of your seat waiting for that to happen. Uh, So the ending, but you know, they had to do what they had to do. If Joe Frazier was calling it, oh, not the official referee, so he doesn't know, and he thinks this is the way it's supposed to end, fine. We'll yeah. accept it good enough. You yeah. know? Uh, I, re- I remember, um, uh, what's my train of thought? Um, but those guys, you know, uh, with the blonde hair, you know, you expected it, you wanted it, and uh, they gave it to you. Oh, my point was that um, if you watch, you know, the best of them, uh, I remember slowing down the videotape and watching Bruno use the blade. The first time I ever saw it, I was like so shocked that I caught it. I'm like, really? Stop it. Right? And what Bruno did was he was in the corner and uh, Koloff was giving him the boot. 
So Bruno trying to get color while he was in the corner, which he wasn't covered up. So when Koloff booted him, he, at one point he grabbed Koloff's boot and he placed Koloff's boot on his face. Like you could see him take Koloff's boot and place it. And then he did the, yeah, to, to the, the gig. The gig uh, right. If you didn't know, you weren't looking for it. I would find it the first time that I found it. And I froze it because it's on videotape. I was like, look at this. That was like the coolest thing. And I knew. I just never saw it so blatantly. Right. Um, when you're up close, see, and this is what we were talking about in, in uh, previous episodes, you know, when it's like a, a, a small little TV studio, you see things like that up close. And the same thing when you attend a live event, sometimes when you're front row, you know, people fall out of the ring and that's where they do it. And, yeah. and you, you don't hide and, and the fans see it. They see. So. I never leave one. I never leave it. A lot of guys throw it on the floor, figuring it gets mixed in with the trash. I never leave it. Um, of course, you never want to touch someone's bloody blade. That's never a good idea for for anyone ever, especially now. But hearing you talk about this match with uh, Ric Flair versus Dusty Rhodes as the main event for this, and uh, imagining now that was uh, what did we got to say about three decades ago? Yeah, it was uh, eight, what did I say? It was eighty four. Eighty four. So we're going beyond three decades here, and now Ric Flair is about to have his final match, his retirement match. Did it happen yet? No, no. It's going to be a tag team match, and he's going to be wrestling his last match. The last time he was in the ring was a, a training session. I saw that. Viral, it went uh, all the way around the internet and back uh, with a, a, a gentleman much younger than himself. And he he kept up and like, the guy is not going to lose a step. He's got his roots down pat. He's Ric Flair and he's he's going to do Ric Flair. You know, he's going to wheel and deal and he, all that stuff that he does, what he's known for. Uh, I, I'm, his last match, I'm sure, will be uh, a classic Epic yeah. event for for every. Find himself a job and keep his act together and act appropriately, and he can take that job until he wants to retire for good. Because right. you can't be him all those years and then sit home. Now that's got to be tough. Um, I, I, I there's a point I wanted to make. I, I completely forgot. But uh, these are the guys that you know set the tone. But these guys want to like we talk about. It wasn't blatant. They tried to hide it. Like, you see guys do things like, and I bring this up all the time. I was really disappointed the other night. I was looking to see this Will Ospreay. They talk about this guy. He's the best worker in the world. In front of the camera, in front of everybody, he pulled the kid's head in and leaned down and talked to him. Right, right there. Like, I don't understand. Don't you know that you don't care that, that's being, that people are seeing you do that? Here, I just watch. I'm watching you because I heard you were this unreal talent. Shut it off. As soon as I saw that, I shut it off. And I'm like, they're not making any more of the guys, like the guys, very few, like we're, what we're used to. And it's not their fault. It's a different time. There's different uh, circumstances. The economy is a market. The world is different. But it's a shame because I don't even think, like Billy Corrigan, I think it's not going to work because I don't think there's enough of us left that enjoy that and the rest of the people are already brought up on this crap so you're not going to undo that you know um so i think it's uh, it's going to be tough to have a, a large enough audience to cater to 
to have more of an old school product. Well, uh, for and for that audience, it's a good thing that there's social media and yeah. a good thing that there's programs like Wrestling Rewind here yeah. where we will rewind the time and bring you back to those moments in time in the past that uh, things that you will not get to see or hear about anymore. So, uh, and, and with that, I'm going to make my decision on I, who I think the better show is here and go with uh, the NWA of the 80s. And uh, what's your choice, Tommy? Well, I've always, I was, I've never been, I haven't been a WWE, w, whatever, since the WWF. I went on my first, one of my first uh, interviews in a magazine with pictures. Um, I said that I always believed that the NWA stood for real wrestling. And I still believe that because the style that they, 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 they provided and they taught and was passed on and was performed in front of the people was one that if you wanted to say, you could always give it, say, you know what? I don't know. I know this is uh, predetermined, but that was, did you see those guys? Like, I mean, that's all you can say. Like when uh, you watch, even if you watch me and Manny, watch me and double uh, Kane on a, a pole, me and Sam, man, there's a, a point where he's trying to come up the pole behind me. And I'm just, you know, uh, there was no tomorrow. So when I turn on the TV and I'm going to watch a kid who's watching him because they say he's the best, and I see that, pull up the head and talk to the guy. What are you doing? If you're so good, how don't how can you just work together? Thank you for joining us uh, for this episode of Wrestling Rewind. Sorry, Tommy's cocked to the side here, but uh, next week he'll be back in his normal position, and uh, we'll be discussing more arena results, book readings, and Wrestling Rewind titles. Join us every Sunday on Monty and Faro YouTube at seven p.m. Uh, and until next week. For my co-host, the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo, who is sideways right now, uh, straighten up, Tommy. Uh, I am the Virgin Princess Angel. Thank you for watching, and have a nice night and a nice life. Good night.